here. He says, well, we're going uh, to try to uh, finish Romans 12 today. Uh, Fritz is betting against me, and the Holy Spirit's betting for me. So let's try to do that. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, as we join together, uh, we're just going to ask again uh, that, that we're able to, in this place, in this time, what a time, uh, recognize who you are, what it means to belong to you, and what it means to be your church, Lord, um, especially now in this time. And so, Lord, give us your give us your wisdom today. We'll just seek that out uh, in a way that these words are not just words in the air, but they become realized in our lives, the way we live. Lord, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to pick up with verse 14, and uh, I'll preface this just by recognizing again what, what really is happening at this part of Romans 12. It's one of my favorite chapters of the scripture. Um, you know, uh, Fritz says, man, you, you're, you're spending quite a few weeks on Romans 12. I'm like, yeah, it is one of my favorite scriptures. Why? Well, because it, it talks about what it means to be the church going into the world. And that's the focus that Paul has at this point in the, in the book of Romans. Going into a world that's very far away from God. Rome is very far away from God. And uh, up to this point, you know, the Jews have been content with saying, well, um, we're, we're kind of our own, we're in the world, we're not of the world, we're living in this bubble. The Jews that are converted to Christianity recognize, well, no, wait a minute, um, maybe our calling is greater than just to stay in this little bubble. But they have been going into synagogues and into the temple and their outreach has predominantly been to other Jews. Romans comes along and says, okay, it's time to turn that page. We're sending you out into the Gentile world. And uh, so for these converted Jews, m many of them were, it's a, it's a struggle. It's like, well, why, why should we go take the gospel to the dogs? Kind of think of them that way. And uh, God said, no, no, they're not, they're not dogs. They're, they're my children as much as you are my children. And so this is hard for uh, the church to, to take hold of. I don't think it's different today. It just looks a little bit different. We tend to just kind of sit up here and look out at the world, and still in our minds, we make judgments about people, right? Well, that person's this, and this person's that, and this person's that. And so we otherize human beings. And uh, Romans becomes relevant in that way for us because God is sending us out into a world that is far away from God. Mo, I, I always remember, you know, the day you called me, we're going to go to, um, to, to Las Vegas to this, you know, to this uh, nightclub that got all shot up by a guy. And if you remember this story, kind of a homosexual nightclub. And uh, boom, 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 mowed these people down. Say again? Florida. Oh, Florida, that's right. Wasn't that right? But I always remember just thinking, Here's a church body that just has a has a has a theology that's that's strong that says okay um, there's a way to live that's right there's a way to live that's outside of God's will homosexuality is outside of God's will now how do you position yourself then towards people who are living outside of God's will um, you you go serve them here's the comfort dog in the midst of these people crying I lost my friend. What do we do? Do we go there and say, well, look, you deserve this because you're sinners? No. We go and serve them. And so that we have it just the, same, in just the same way 
that the Jews are wrestling with go out there to, to them? Yes. The God sends us out into a world that's very far away, very different from God. Why? Because he loves each person, every soul made for himself. Uh, we go with a balance of truth and, and gospel, right? You don't let go of the truth. You hold on to the truth, but you go with love. So that's what's happening beginning verse 9 where we started here a few weeks ago with this word love. You're going to love. Um, I always think of Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I become like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, you're just making a lot of noise. Just making a lot of noise. I've always said this, that as we go out into that world that's very far away from God, we have to go with authentic, genuine love. And the world knows it. People know it. If you're, if you're judging them, they know it like that. If you're trying to stand above them, they know it like that. We go with the Spirit that says, I love you. I love you. Yeah, you're far away from God. I, I love you. And uh, that's, that's our starting point. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 14, because uh, this kind of picks up what, what love births in us, what is birthed out of love, is something that I think, think of as supernatural, because what's happening is God is changing us, uh, and, and the way he changes us causes us to, to be able to serve others. Uh, verse 14, almost shocking, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Um, for the Jews living in Rome, they've, they've been living under persecution. Um, at this point, more mild than it will become. Uh, but nonetheless, persecution. Uh, when you look at Jewish history, and we get ready to celebrate Christmas, and the Jews get ready to celebrate Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? What is Hanukkah? Well, it's a, cel it's a Jewish celebration, right? What are they celebrating? They're celebrating a, a war, a battle that took place, uh, a revolt against Rome that took place. Uh, the Maccabean revolt. We will not be under, we are God's children and we will not be subject to or we will not submit to, Pastor Mike, we will not hupotasso to, you Romans, we will not. We will fight you and we will overcome you. You dare persecute us. So imagine how difficult these words are to hear when Paul shows up and says, oh, here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to bless those who persecute you. What's the word there, by the way, bless? What, when you hear the word bless, what, what kind of pictures go off in your mind? I'm going I'm to bless you. Um, I think we've kind of watered it down in our world. Are there, are there pictures that come to mind? <laughs> bless you, right? Um, God bless you. Uh, or if you're living in Texas, you learn the phrase, bless your heart, right? Um, I, I really did not know what that meant. I, I didn't, but uh, this one guy finally explained it to me. Um, when you say bless your heart in Texas, what you're really saying is, um, you stupid... Uh, uh, um, yeah, son of a gun. Yeah, thank you. I was looking for the word. I was going to say Ben Cabo, which is the Hebrew form of that uh, that particular phrase. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so what, what does the word actually mean to bless those who persecute you? It's interesting, the term that's used here is eulogete, eulogete. And uh, we get our word eulogy from this, uh, this particular uh, Greek word. And so someone might say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll speak a eulogy for somebody who's hurt me. Uh, I can't wait till they die. Let them die. No, that's not what it means. The term eulogete is made up of two parts. Eu means good. Logos is word. In fact, it's the word of God. Bring the good word of God to people who have hurt you. I want you to stop for just one second. Just stop for just one minute. I want you to think right now. I want you to try doing this. Honestly, try doing this. I want you to think of someone who has hurt you. Not a little bit, but deeply. Think of that person. There's something inside of us as human beings that wants to say to that person, I'll not bless you, but damn you. Um, that says, not I loose you, free you, but I bind you. Right? And um, here's God coming to us and saying, I want you to you logate, bring the good word to those who are what? Persecuting you, those who have hurt you. And these words, we can read them pretty quickly. They don't take long to read, but they're shocking when you sit and think of the magnitude of what God is calling us to do and to be. I want you to go to those who have, who have hurt you badly. And I want you to bring a good word to them. I, I've told this story before, but for me, you know, it really, this really just kind of cements it inside of me is the wrestle inside of me to this day, really, you know, with um, the, the man who um, my daughter married and uh, ultimately was abused by. Um, and I think back to that and I think, oh. My biggest struggle was, how can you eulogate that person? How can you wish God's blessing upon that person, his, his good word? And uh, it took a long time, that wrestling match inside of me, to be able to get to that place of being able to say, um, here, here was my litmus test question. Do you want to see that person in heaven? And for a long time, my answer was no. No, I hope they go to hell. I mean, that, I'm a pastor and I'm telling you that. Uh, and it took a long time for God to wrestle inside of me and bring me to a place where I can literally today say, Eulogete. Do I hope that man is in heaven? Yes, I do. I hope he knows the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and will be in heaven for eternity. Uh, what's, what's being spoken to here, it is, it is shocking to the hearer because... We know ourselves and we know, no, I don't go out and just love another person. I go out and I, I have this veneer or I judge a person. And how do you get here? How do you get to this place? Well, recognize that what Paul is talking about here is not something that you can in and of your own strength just do. You can't. You'll never get there. What he's talking about is what God does inside of us. He is the one who births out of us these, these, this new way of living that's able to um, bless those who uh, persecute you. That's not normal. That's not your normal um, sense. How is that happening? Well, 
you know, to come back to the word um, that I like to use, it's, it's the word that we translate obedience. And it actually means, it doesn't mean, okay, God, I'm going to obey you or I'm going to submit to you or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll do these things because we, we won't. We won't. Our natural inclination is against these things. But to, to, um, to obey God, the, the, the word is hupakuo, means to come underneath the hearing. Hupo underneath, akuo, the hearing of a word that changes us. And, and my challenge for you this morning is, how is that happening in your life in an ongoing way? Last week, we made this observation. Any man who would spend as much time in the Word of God as they do watching ESPN on a given week, you're going to hear what a word that has the power to change you. For me this week, it's Psalm 126. Um, I'll read that psalm every day this entire week. Um, I love it. It fits this time uh, in our history in America beautifully. Um, You know, the psalmist Um, When the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like men who had dreamed. Woke up this morning, I thought, was it a dream? Or did Nebraska actually beat Penn Penn State? Was that a dream? I had to look, right? Well, here's here's why I love those words. Uh, When the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like men who had dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, the psalmist writes. Do you know that I really do believe that a day is going to come sooner? Sooner, not later, sooner. When we'll look back at this time, hard time. Many of our friends suffering through this virus, many, many people have died. When the Lord restores our fortunes, we'll be like men who had had a dream. Huh. Was that real? Yes, it was real. But you know what? We thought it went on forever, and it did not. Our God is gracious. I hear those words, and uh, it, it, what does it do? Well, those words get in you, and they begin to change you. My point being is, how is that happening for you? How are you coming underneath that hearing? Because you will not bless those who persecute you unless you're hearing that word on a daily basis, letting it get into you, and birth a new you out of it. Continue with verse 14. Bless and do not curse them, do not damn them, bless them, wish the word of God upon them. Verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is a way of life, and this is all-inclusive. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who are weeping. We have both in this congregation, I think, of this week alone. You know, we've, uh, we've got some rejoicing that we're going to, we're going to be doing. I mean, we have we have uh, one couple here in our church, 50 years of marriage. One couple here in this room, 21 years of marriage. We're saying thank you, God. We're rejoicing. So let's let's have some joy together. But we also have a Messersmith family, and uh, we weep. We weep together. Uh, weeping is not a sign of uh, foolishness or weakness. It's what we do. We come together, and we share life in a way that says whether it's good or whether it's bad, uh, we walk together here and with others, even outside of uh, our body. Uh, Verse 16, he says, live live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate 
with the lowly. That's, how, that's my English translation. I'll read it one more time. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Harmony, not haughty. But associate with the lowly. From time to time, a verse gets translated and it doesn't have the strength, I don't think, of the, uh, of the text underneath it. I'm going to read it to you, kind of raw translation, uh, because I just like it better. Here, here's the way it actually reads in the Greek. Be thinking about the needs of one another. Be thinking about the needs of one another. I kind of like that about this church too. I do. Um, Randy Vasicek going in for surgery this week. So what do we get? We get a, a, a text from Brandy who knows that Ann hurt her hand and she says, how can I help? How can I help? We're getting ready to go in for surgery. Be thinking about the needs of one another. Be thinking about the needs of one another. What do you need? Be thinking about that. Then he says, be associated with those who are tapenois. Now we translate lowly, but again, I want to try to pull that up a little bit for you. When you think of lowly, remember there's not one single human being that's lower or higher than another. We're, we all bear the same what? The image of God. We bear the same blood. We, we, are, we are bearers of Adam's blood. There's no one low, lower than me. So what do you mean to be associating with those who are to pain us lowly? Think Old Testament here, and it'll help you. Remember in the Old Testament, provisions are made for all of those who go through brokenness in life to the degree that they have a need. And the way Old Testament life is structured, right, we are to take care of one another's needs. Be thinking about one another's needs. I know when someone becomes a widow, well, they're going to have some needs that they didn't have before. I, I know when somebody is lame, they have some needs. Uh, I know when someone is blind, they have some needs. When you go through Old Testament uh, law and, and kind of the, the um, rules that govern life, what God set up Israel to be is a nation that took care of one another's needs. When someone has a need, we will take care of that need. Uh, today, in America, we tend to say, well, let the government do it. Uh, when I hear a politician say, we're going to really crank up a lot of taxes so that we can take care of people, here, here's what hurts me inside is, first of all, I know the government can't do it. And, you know, it doesn't work. Um, when, when you hear the words, the government's going to take care of you, there's something inside of you go like, oh, yeah, I don't think so. Or like, oh, please don't. Please, uh, yeah, just don't, don't, don't bother. I, I'm fine, right? Um, the church was meant to do that. Really, honestly, was. And, and I still argue to this day that, that even one church, even one church in a city, intent on saying, how are we going to care for the needs of people um, and, and, and actually in, engaging these gifts that God has given to us could make a huge difference. Uh, if every church in America functioned the way God called Israel to live, we, we, would not have, we wouldn't have much need for a government. We just really wouldn't. Um, why? Because we were set up to be thinking about the needs of the tapenos, those who are broken, those who have needs that they can't meet, and uh, the body is, is, is called upon to, uh, to take care 
of those needs. And then he ends this off by, by saying, um, and do not be thinking towards yourself. Recipe for disaster is um, focusing on my needs, what I want, uh, what's best for me. Recipe for disaster. Uh, you want to live a long, healthy life? Focus your attention outward, not inward. Uh, look, look to how I might serve uh, other people. It will extend your life in a beautiful way. Uh, I call it a formula for, uh, for a long life. Verse 17 kind of continues this idea of, of bless those who persecute you. He says, repay no one evil for evil. You did this to me, and so now I have the right to do this to you. I'm going to repay what you did. To, I'm going to repay that with something equal or even more so than what you, you did to me. Um, that is not, not what happened to us. Uh, what happened to us was Jesus Christ went onto a cross and he said, I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of your evil upon myself and I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Uh, do not repay evil uh, for evil. This is a really bad example of this, but I'm going to use it anyway. A couple of thoughts came to my mind on this. Um, reparations. Have you heard the word? How many of you have heard the word reparations? Yeah. What's the idea of it? You did evil to us, and now you must pay us. You know what that will do to people? Destroy them. They'll just destroy them. Um, don't, you don't repay. You don't repay. You don't repay evil with evil. You don't try to repair things in a superficial way. If somebody does evil to me, I loose them from that evil. And until I lose from them from that evil, then I'm going to live as what? A victim. When I think about the people who have the most difficulty in life, from a counseling perspective, you know who it is? People who live as a victim. They did this to me. He did this to me. She did this to me. Victim. It will destroy you. Because you'll never come out from underneath it. Doesn't matter how much money I give you. Doesn't matter how, what I do to you, you will never come out from underneath that seat as long as you live as a victim. What God says is, release it. Somebody did evil to you, loose it. Just the same way Jesus Christ did on the cross. Took our evil on and loosed us from it. Live that way towards, uh, towards one another. Um, I still remember, I always remember um, uh, the promise keepers in Atlanta where... We, uh, we had gone to, um, as a group of pastors, gone to hear pretty powerful speakers. And um, so we get there, and, and Promise Keepers, you know, is really meant to be a movement of men uh, where we were being called upon to, hey, think about the role that God has given you as a husband, as a father, um, as a grand grandfather. Live that out. Well, we get to Atlanta. And uh, this, was, this was kind of a special promise keepers. I mean, it was for, it was for pastors around the country. We get there, and the first speaker comes up and changes the dial, like, like turn the channel. And uh, the channel turn was like this. We're not going to talk anymore about being a father or being a, a man. We're going we're to talk about racial reconciliation. And I remember thinking, well, okay, we can do that because that's part of loosing right? One another. 
So they got up and they, they started talking about this is what needs to happen and you're, you're, you did this, your, your forefathers did this, and so you need, to, you need to go ask for some forgiveness. And so they asked us, um, we want you to find somebody, uh, we want you to find an a African-American man here and we want you to go and, and tell them you're sorry and ask for their forgiveness. I remember sitting back thinking, huh. Mm -hmm. So there's one guy about three rows up in front of us. Um, and I thought, man, well, I wonder what's going to happen to him. All these guys jump up and they run. <gasps> Finally, he's on the ground laying there going, I can't get off of me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't breathe. I can't breathe. Get off me. I'm like, I think they're going to kill him. I'm like, they're, they're going to smother him to death. This is not what this is talking about. Ridiculous, not, it's not some ridiculous, superficial thing. Loosing someone is a spiritual act in which I literally say, God, I, I don't want to lose somebody. But because you loosed me, God, would you work that inside of me? I don't want to repay evil for evil. I want to do what? Bless, speak your word of goodness into people. And, and release, release people. If they have done uh, something to me, I am going to release them. In fact, so much so, kind of an interesting word here, um, but, give thought, but give thought to do what is, here the word is honorable, in the sight of all. Here's what's kind of interesting about that. But give thought to is the word pro- Numana. Pro means what? Before. To go before. Okay. Be thinking ahead of time. Be thinking ahead about how to do kalas, good, to somebody who has what? Done evil to you. And so instead of thinking about how you're going to repay someone, how you're going to get them back, what you're going to do to them, he's actually saying, no, start thinking ahead about what you can do to bring good into the life of those people who have done uh, harm to you. Again, these are these are Jews, and they're used to what? We're going to smack you back, and God's going to be on our side, and all of a sudden, these words start coming into them, and they're thinking, are, are you serious? You want us to, do, to, to just loose them? How can we just loose them? Look what they've done to us. Look what they've done to our families. Look at what they've done. And these words are being spoken before persecution becomes hard. And I'll guarantee you, if somebody walked into your household, arrested your husband or your wife, hauled them off, and the next thing you know, they set them on fire as a heretic. There's nothing inside of you that would say, you know what, I think I'm going to go do good to those people. I think I'm going to wish God's blessing upon those people. Everything inside of you would be what? I hate you. I hope God destroys you. I hope you spend eternity in hell. These words are shocking. And they should be. Because they're what God is saying to us is, if, if you're going to have an impact in our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just, oh, we, we love people. It's not, hey, we got... It's going out and loving the very person who has done evil to you.
wrong caused you immense pain, immense pain. And what do you do? You loose them. And you say, you belong to God. And I, I pray for God's good word to come upon you. And you love them. And yes, these words are meant to be shocking. They're a picture of what God is calling us to be as his church. Uh, and they make a significant difference as, as God starts to change us. They make a significance in the way the world perceives the church, not as, as judgmental and unloving and uncaring. But look, here's this body of people that, that are living differently amongst us. And what's inside of you? What's going on inside of you that you would live this way? That's what God is calling the church to be today. That's what he was calling the church to be in um, uh, this latter part of Romans. Go to verse 18. It says, if, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably uh, with all. Man, again, uh, translations sometimes don't grab the whole of it. If possible is the term dunatos. So it means if you have the power. Uh, and, and the phrase if here is, is kind of used um, to, to just kind of point back to this idea that, well, you, you don't have the power. You don't have the power, naturally. But you do through the work of the Spirit in you. This is the same verb that Paul uses when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the what? Do not toss. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the same word. That powerful word begins to change me in such a way that what? Insofar as it depends upon me. I'm going to just give you the raw translation here. If, if possible, if you have the power, we do, that which is out of yourselves, uh, that which is out of yourselves, that power now begins to produce something that comes out of you. What is that that comes out of me? Well, here's the way it continues. It says, um, live a reinatas in the peace of God with all men. Live in the peace of God with all men. Uh, I always say it pretty simply. Be a peacemaker. It's the same thing Jesus said uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. Be that person who seeks what? The peace of God. When we talked about this uh, in our study of the Beatitudes, I really wanted people to recognize that, that, that that's not a wimpy word. It's not like, hey, peace to you, peace to you, peace to you. But it means what? I'm going to bring a, a word to you that will actually wo bring a war about inside of you. <laughs> but it will change you. Uh, to live with the peace of God amongst all men is to bring that word uh, into people's lives in such a way that it, it begins to war within them and God is seeking to bring about his peace through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Beloved, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Uh, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is one of those verses I think all of us kind of like. We're like, yeah, I'm just going to leave it to God. And I hope he hits you with an upper... I hope he smacks you this way, and then he comes back and he smacks you that way. That's what I... Well, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean, hey... 
Oh, I'm not going to repay evil for evil because I'm going to leave it to God and he's going to clobber you. No, it does not mean that. What does what it say? It says, no, we, we can't hold on to the stuff that we're angry with another person about or the evil that they've done to me because it will destroy me is who it will destroy, right? When it says vengeance is God, okay, belongs to God, where did God take out his vengeance? On the cross, right? What I deserved was the uppercut and the gut punch and the final blow, right? What did I get? Grace. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Where does God take out his vengeance? On the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, so let, let go of that stuff that's inside of you. That will destroy you. And, and watch what God did on the cross for that person who, yeah, you're, you're angry with them at, you're mad at, you want to, you, you want to re repay e the evil they've done to you, let it go. It all belongs to God. And in fact, go to verse 20, to the contrary, notice now the contrast. Instead of, I hope God smacks you and all, here's what, we, here's what we're called to do. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, this gets misinterpreted often. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's how that gets misinterpreted. Once again, the picture that comes to my mind is, okay, so you're my enemy. Vengeance belongs to God. That's good. You hurt me. Here's what I'm going to do. The Bible says I should feed you. Here's some food. Oh, you're thirsty. Here's some drink. All right. Now, God, burn this guy down to the ground. Heap those burning coals on his head and destroy him. And let me just watch it all happen. I'll journal it, in fact. It's going to be fun to watch. No, it's not what this, again, it's not what this means. When I say heap burning coals on someone's head, you know, it's a, you know what it's a picture of in the New Testament? Bringing someone to repentance. Bringing someone to a place of repentance. Do you know how you bring someone to a place of repentance? You preach the word of God at them and you tell them they're wrong. And you tell them, by God, you better get your life straight with God. And, I, and if you don't, God's going to hammer you down to hell. That's how you do it. You drag a cross out onto the street and you start preaching. You're all going to hell. You go to sinners, repent. That's going to work, right? No. How do you bring someone to repentance? Love them when they hurt you. Speak the good word, eulogate to them. Show them what it means to have been the person that received the forgiveness of God. And that person says, huh, I wonder what's up with these Christians. One of my favorite stories, uh, Chuck Swindoll told it years ago, uh, based on history. Um, when you go to Rome and you go to the Colosseum, what a magnificent, what a magnificent stadium the Colosseum was. What a magnificent stadium. Today, when you go to the Colosseum, first thing you see when you're walking into it is a cross of all things. A cross. You know, here, here, here it is, this, this symbol of Jesus' forgiveness in front of a place of death for God's people. When you get into the Colosseum, most of the paintings, the frescoes that were all on the top of the ceiling are gone. There's one that remains. You know what it is? Israel coming out of, out of Egypt, the Exodus. 
is one of the few frescoes that somehow God preserved in the Colosseum. You walk into that Colosseum, and there's, a, there's stories. If you stood on that ground, you can hear you can hear people crying. You can hear people dying. You see blood pouring out. But this is what got the Romans more than anything else: is the Christians, as they're being persecuted, would join hands together and go down to their knees, and they would begin to sing the Psalms, their songs. And the Romans began to look at the Christians. And I remember Chuck Swindoll telling this story. It still gives me a shiver. That you can just see the first person that looks, that's looking down at this spectacle that's meant to, you know, it's meant to uh, uh, be like a, you know, we're going we're gonna to give you an adrenaline rush and look what we're doing to these Christians. You see that first person that looks down and just says to themselves, this is wrong. This is wrong to be killing these people and gets up and walks out. And the next person looks and says, um, I'm not having a lot of fun. And they get up and they walk out. And then a few rows down, a family gets up and says, mm -mm, we're not going to have any of this. And they walk out. And all of a sudden, the great Colosseum begins to empty out because the Christians don't return evil for evil. They go to their knees and they begin to sing to their God and people in Rome begin to say, what is it with these people? This God that they follow. And this is the picture that you have here, that repentance, that the, the, the holes heaped on the head is not God saying, I'm going to crush you, but it's God saying, I'm going I'm to crush the old man inside of you and bring you to myself. And uh, in Rome, those words... These words that are being spoken are being spoken to people who many of their family will end up in some form of persecution. They will know no uh, death as a result of their, their faith. And then he closes off simply by, by, uh, by saying, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Boy, evil is, is so... You just, you just look at our world right now, I'm like, oh my goodness, there is so much evil that's going on. Uh, around us. Don't be overcome by it. But think about this. We are overcomers of evil. You're an overcomer of evil. How are you an overcomer of evil? By repaying it back? By giving evil, evil back? No, but overcome evil with good. Every, we'll close out Romans 12 this way, every single one of the words that make up this last part of Romans 12 are shocking. I hope they're shocking to you. They're meant to be. They're meant to say, take a look in the mirror. What are you really? And uh, does your life reflect what it means to go out and live in a world that will watch you and say, hmm, gosh, what is it about that person that makes them the way they are? And you have the opportunity to say, well, it's not me. I can tell you that. It's this one that I follow. His name is Jesus Christ. Uh, let them be shocking in your life. And we come before God and say, God, I can't do this. I, just, I can't do this. And God says, Dunatas, I am the power. I am the power for this. Let him dwell within me. We will uh, pick up, not that, not that Romans 13, submission to authorities has anything at all to do with the world we're living in right now. But uh, it's possible that it may. We'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, close out.
I, I hope there's a sense in which we honestly read these words again and think to ourselves, oh boy, wow, uh, I got a long ways to go. We know what's inside of us and it is not always good. And so Lord, we do pray that your spirit continues to work in us, change us, to be the people you've called us to be, to live the way you've called us to live. Not, not so that we, we earn a reward, but Lord, so that others might stop and say, what is that that is in you? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great